This is the Greg Bedard Patriots Podcast with Nick Cavins. Straight from Napa Valley, I am back after a long weekend, my man Greg, and we're here to talk Patriots football. Of course, it's the Greg Bedard Patriots podcast with Nick Cattles, brought to you by our friends at betonline.ag, the fastest and easiest way to bet all of your favorite sports. And, uh, you know, we're going to talk about a, a lot of the conversation that's happened over the last few days, several interviews with Patriots players, coaches, Matt Groh. Let's start with Malcolm Butler. Uh, everybody's talking about this, Greg. Of course, we'll get to the Super Bowl stuff and how he did not want to touch that, even though you tried very hard to get him there. Uh, let's start with first the fact that he's back. He, he said he was surprised that he's back, and he talked about not burning bridges. And what I wanted to ask you before you get into your thoughts on that side of it, Greg, is when Butler left New England, what was the feel about him? Like, how was he viewed when he left the building? Was he a guy who was still respected did Belichick still like him and just knew it was probably time for him to go like what was the situation when he left because when we talk about it we always talk about him not playing in that Super Bowl against the Eagles and I think a lot of people might just say well it must have ended really badly how was he viewed when he decided to leave and the Patriots also decided for him to leave it's a good question Nick um and I think an important question and um you know, while I 100% don't know exactly how he was viewed, I, I'd go back to this. Okay, Malcolm Butler was a was a tremendous Patriot his entire, almost his entire time here. Um, undrafted free agent, went to the Pro Bowl his second year, um, quickly ascended. You know, of course, the Super Bowl play, the the winning play against the Seahawks, which we all know about. Um, he was really sort of the the prime patriot there for a while, like sort of the poster child. But when the contract negotiations went south, he was going into his contract year. We all thought that he was going to get a big money contract extension, and it just didn't work out. Obviously, Malcolm had a Malcolm and his agent had a, a cost in mind. The Patriots had another cost in mind before that season, and. you know it it never really materialized and then all of a sudden they shift from hey here Malcolm here's a contract extension offer to he doesn't want it all right well we're pulling it now we're giving it to Stefan Gilmore and so that that led into his final season with New England he was understandably irritated by it it bothered him the entire season I remember even in OTAs and, and training camp, I talked about his body language and how it looked, and I got ridiculed by some in some who covered the team, not only just fans, but I think what happened that year in terms of his play, he started getting a little bit more selfish. He started taking a lot more chances. He did not have a good year that year, and I even wrote towards the end of that season that he's on his way to being benched at some point. And it turned out it was the Super Bowl. Now, you know, we've been over it. I think it was basically, you know, he was sick that week. He, he The way he was taking chances, it didn't mesh against the Eagles, who did a lot of read option and other things. So the Patriots decided to put him in a nickel roll for that game, which I don't necessarily disagree with. I think when, when he heard about the game plan and where he was, I think he threw a fit and uh, was insubordinate. And basically Belichick said, that's not going to play. You're not playing. Sit the bench. And I, I would say, Nick, back to your question, I would say they were disappointed 
in how things ended, how Malcolm was that entire season. But I don't think that they were, I don't think they were mad at him. I don't think that they were, you know, you know, were, were past him at any point. I just think that they were, they were disappointed the way things went. And that's sort of where it was left as he, you know, I think he, he even talked about it. I think the Patriots realized it. He's going to free agency. They gave their money to Stephon Gilmore. He's gone. See you later. Bye-bye. But I don't think they were ever they, – they never washed their hands of him. They were never completely done with him. Yeah, it wasn't irreparable, right? I mean, if it, right. if it was irreparable, then he would not be here now and he would not be talking to the media today about, well, I didn't burn any bridges and, you know, we were able to have a conversation – which leads us to how this all came together. Malcolm said today that, you know, Belichick actually requested to speak to him. He, he went to, you know, Malcolm's uh, agent and wanted to have that conversation w- with Malcolm. And Malcolm seemed somewhat surprised by that, but he was happy about it. And, and I just, I was reading these comments from Malcolm and I thought to myself, this really is Belichick doing what he says he does. And people think it's just cliche, but really doing what's best for the football team. Like Belichick knew that this would cause some kind of a stir with the media. He couldn't care less. He, he saw his depth chart at cornerback and knew that he had a guy in Butler that if he could play the way he played the last time he was on the field, he could help this team. So it was Belichick who actually reached out and made this thing happen. Uh, what'd you take from that? Well, a couple of different things. I think that uh, it was important in this circumstance, especially that that Bill needed to ta- talk to Malcolm, even though, you know, Malcolm later on in the press conference talked about how him and Belichick actually sort of squashed the Super Bowl thing like right after it. They talked. Yeah. They talked like many said. So that wasn't the issue. What the issue was is that Malcolm Butler went from Tennessee to Arizona for a year ago, last offseason, I think he, he they announced a one-year deal. It was worth up to $6 million, not very much, March 25th. At some point, I don't even know if he got to camp, or I think he might have gotten to camp, but he, he essentially quit. It wasn't COVID-related. It was Malcolm, and, and he dropped some, some kernels today, some nuggets as far as it really sounded like he was, for whatever reason, and these guys are human beings, uh, we don't know what the deal is. It could be at home, could be where he was as a player after leaving New England, whatever. He was not in a good headspace, and he talked about that. It, that was the right, that was the right decision for him at that time. And I think number one, Bill needed to assess where he was because he already sort of, you know, quote unquote, quit on one team. I know the Cardinals were weren't very happy about the way things went down. So Bill needed to assess that. And, you know, but he also needed to assess, like, you know, he needed to understand that, Malcolm, look, you took a year off. This is not going to be easy for you, especially where you left off in the National Football League. But are you ready to put in the work that's going to be required? And once Malcolm said, yep, I'm ready. I'm ready to go. I'm all in. I understand the situation. I think Bill was like, okay, let's go. And it'll be interesting to see if Malcolm feels the same way a couple of months from now, because, you know, as you said, Greg, I would think he thought he was going to play with the Cardinals. And then all of a sudden he decided that was not in his best interest. And I do think there's one of those things where if if you're the Patriots, you've got to wonder, all right. Yeah. He says his heart's in it now. And he, you know, absence makes the heart grow fonder but you know maybe after he gets out there he starts running around starts playing 
is he going to feel the same way? We'll have to wait and see. Yep. Um, and, and he also mentioned, I know you just talked about how he and Belichick got together right after the Super Bowl and kind of hash it out like two men. Uh, does that surprise you in any way? Or is that what you would expect from Belichick and especially from Butler, if, if Butler did have an issue, which I would think quite obviously he did with the way things ended? It didn't really surprise me because I think Bill – uh, Bill knows the situation. He knows the scoreboard. So he understood that, especially the way things went down in the Super Bowl and the way the ho- things went down with Butler that entire final season, he realized as soon as the season was over, Malcolm's out the door. He's gone. So I think Bill realized this is sort of my last chance. Might as well, you know, say goodbye, say what I have to say, wish him good luck right now because he's, he's out the door. You know, right. mentally where he was from the whole season, plus the Super Bowl on top of that. Malcolm even admitted, like, you know, he was he he was not entertaining re-signing with the Patriots. So I think Bill saw the writing on the wall because he's that smart and decided to get it over with. And they talked and and uh, he probably said, you know, good luck. You know, I appreciate the hard work. I'm, last season didn't end how we wanted it to end, but we appreciate everything you did for us and best of luck. And who knows what might happen in the future. Do you think, and look, this is me asking you to crawl into the mind of Bill Belichick, which is always a dangerous thing to do, but the way you, you know, Bill, and you know, people around Bill, do you think post Super Bowl in that game, when that's all over and he sits down with Butler, do you think he, he tells Malcolm why he made the decision he did and says, look, this is what happened and this is how, how it works. Or would Belichick be like, you know, like he is with the media or some of the fans and say, Malcolm, I did what's best for the football team. How detailed would you expect Belichick to be in that meeting with Butler post Super Bowl? I actually, Nick, I actually think, and and I may be wrong with this because I I forget exactly what was said after the game and things like that. But I, knowing Bill the way that I do, I would have expected that either from Bill or through a proxy, like say Matt Patricia, who was the defensive coordinator at the time. I would have figured somebody would have been honest with him before the Super Bowl on like, look, Malcolm, you know, not only his role in the game and the game plan. Remember, he was sick and flew out late to Arizona for that Super Bowl. And I think that even before the Patriots left, they had the game plan done. They were probably practicing it already in Foxborough. Um, Malcolm understood. They probably explained to him what the deal was with the game plan or at least he brought it up with them, and I think it was hashed out, and I think it was it was made clear to him, which is why we saw him emotional during the national anthem. I think it was made clear to him, like, look, Malcolm, this went on. This kind of stuff can't go on here in a team environment. F- for that reason, you're not playing other than special teams in this game, and I think that was probably made clear to him even before uh, the, you know, they boarded the buses for the, the actual game. Now, Malcolm said today that he doesn't believe the year off is going to hinder him much. What do you think? Do you think it will, Greg? Uh, I think it'll get off to a slow start. I think, Nick, if we've learned anything from watching these guys, especially since we have the COVID year, um, where some of the guys took off, even with the Patriots. I mean, look at look at Dante Hightower and Brandon Bolden, who came back. Both of them started slow. I mean, Brandon Bolden, remember, remember when we were watching him early on in the season? His feet looked like they were in cement. And then fast forward, not even four or five games later, and all of a sudden you're like, 
wait a minute, Brandon Bolden has another gear? Like, where did this come from? So it's going to take him some time. He might get off to a slow start. I expect him to become a pretty decent player for this team at some point in time. You know, him knowing the scheme, that's going to help a lot. Now, look, one thing I want to make clear is people need to have realistic expectations because I think some people out there, you know, are talking about, well, Malcolm Butler had good film in 2020 with the Titans. And his PFF grade was good with the Titans in 2020. That's all well and good. And and those people aren't incorrect. But on the whole, you have to look at the entire league looked at Malcolm Butler's 2020 film when he was a free agent in 2021. He did not get signed. He had to take a one-year, make good, up to $6 million deal. This is, you know, when he was still playing. And so that tells you his value. His value was not very much in the league. He might have gone there because it's a good situation, good defensive coordinator, good defense. Hey, I can have – I'll sign for one year. I can have a good year. Then I can try to get paid again. Um, but, look, his value wasn't very much around the league. He's going to have to prove otherwise with the Patriots. Last one on Butler. You tried to get him to talk about the Super Bowl. He wasn't having having it. Uh, you know, I wonder. It doesn't really help anybody, right? Like, who would it help if if he had this conversation, discussion with anybody in the media, including yourself, about what happened? You know, with the Super Bowl and what the decision process was like. I, I just feel like whether it's protecting himself. Uh, protecting his future, whatever it is, he's not going to gain much out of that. And with Belichick, we know he's not going to talk about it. So does today pretty much end it all and and kind of we've got to move forward? Or do you think people will continue to try and then maybe just maybe down the road at, at some point, one of these guys is going to say something about it? Oh, uh, it'll be in a 30 for 30 someday. Or, you know, uh, you know, if Belichick decides to write a book, call me, Bill, um, when things are all over. Uh, from him to his perspective, um, I think it'll be made clear. Uh, look, I think the way Malcolm has conducted himself um, since leaving New England, uh, we saw him face to face in Nashville for joint practices a few years ago, uh, and he didn't entertain it. I think then his decision, because he easily he had gotten paid by the Titans, he he really he really had no reason to hold back, uh, especially considering his you know, reputation as a player was on the line a little bit. So if he had anything to say that he was wronged by the Patriots, I think it would have been then that the only thing I'll say about your question, Nick, and and I I don't disagree with it. It's just this. Um, I think, I think it would have been best served for everybody. If Malcolm would have come out today, it just made it better and sort of would have alleviated the situation altogether. If he came out and just said something like, Look, I've had a long time to think about that. You know, that was four years ago. I've done a lot of soul searching. I realize my my hand in this, that my the part that I played in this. And to tell, I, I just want everybody to know, because I know he's gotten a lot of heat in the years since, but Coach Belichick did what he needed to do for, for our team. It didn't ultimately work out. We came up one point short, but uh, people should cut him some slack because uh, looking back on it, I don't disagree with the the decision that he made, and I don't think that would have adversely affected Malcolm. And I, but I do think that would have made Belichick look better and would have alleviated, you know, one of the big things that people 
who are sort of critical of Belichick like to point to? Well, maybe he doesn't believe that. <laughs> maybe, good point. Maybe he, looks, maybe he looks back and says, no, he should have played me. I should have been out there. We lost by one point. I could have made it's a difference. Hard. It's hard not to make that argument. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, look, I think uh, I don't know many people who, you know, would look back at that objectively and say that was the right decision by Belichick. And I remember doing shows for 98.5 after that Super Bowl. And, you know, I did that Monday night show after the game, the, the very next night. And I lit into Belichick. I mean, I, I just, I, I thought it was inexcusable, even if you went in with the plan and we don't have to go down that road, but uh, you know, maybe, maybe Butler looks back at it and says, well, I don't, I don't agree with what coach did. And um, I, I would much rather let that dog lie than, you know, pick around it and, and, and make sure that this becomes a thing. The other part of it is maybe, maybe Butler just handled today the way Belichick told him to handle it. I'm sure these guys discussed it as he was coming back yeah. and I'm sure they had a plan and I'm sure they're on the same page. And, uh, I would imagine that Belichick would want Butler to handle this exactly the way he did today, which is don't give it any life. Don't, don't, don't even talk about it. Don't entertain it. Uh, let's get to Matt grow. I, I want to entertain what, what Matt had to say to the media, because uh, there have been a lot of uh, comments thrown out there by him. And I saw some of the reaction over the last couple of days. Uh, let's first start off with his approaches presentation. Greg, you found Matt grow to be impressive. Tell me why. Yeah, I, you know, I sung his praises after talking to people at the league meetings a couple of weeks ago. And, um, you know, this backed it up. I mean, you know, he comes off as extremely smart, extremely on the ball, is aware of what's going on in the NFL and football in general, which I thought was very important because I think one of the questions about Grow is, is he just going to be a Belichick puppet where, you know, this is all he knows. He was, he came up the Patriot way, how Patriots do things, how Bill looks at things. Is that, is he just going to be a parrot of Bill? And I didn't get that sense. I thought he was impressive. I thought he was extremely candid, probably too candid for <laughs> some of the people within the Patriots. So that'll probably uh, end very soon. Uh, but I thought he was, uh, I thought he was really good and, and showed that he, at least I know somebody in that building since, you know, Bill might be on this, but he never, he'll never tell us and I'll never share these things, but at least I know one person in the building, uh, is realizes that it's a dawn of a new age in the NFL and you need certain things to compete now differently than you did say 10, 20 years ago. Fascinating. When you look at last year's draft, again, we look at last year's draft and it was so much different than the prior drafts. And, you know, as Belichick told the media down in those owners meetings, grow was the guy who was running point. Now, of course, as grow reminded everybody, uh, during his meeting with the media, Belichick has the final say. Don't get it twisted. He's not making these decisions. He's he's giving Belichick his suggestions. And as we've talked before, Greg, about this, you've heard from people that grow uh, will push back, and he might not mm -hmm. do it in a in a loud manner. And he has his own way to kind of go about it, but he will push back. So you know, it's interesting to see from from Grow's you know viewpoint how he looks at the game because that will absolutely play a role in how this team drafts in the next 10 days and, and what this looks like, you know, a year or two from now. And, and where is his head at and how does he fight Belichick on certain things and certain philosophies? Let's talk about wide receiver because I thought that was one of the more enlightening comments that he made. I know some people took it 
when Gross said, you know, you've got to find that guy. If you want to find an instant impact player at wide receiver, you've got to invest in that position early in the draft. Um, of course, the Patriots tried to do that with Harry and it backfired. But uh, what'd you make of his comments about the wide receiver position? And do you think, because some, some people looked at that comment and kind of took that leap and said, oh, well, maybe the Patriots will draft somebody now at 20. Do you, do you think they're more apt to draft a guy early because grows there or you wouldn't read too much into that? Yeah, I, I don't think his comments didn't make me think that they're going to be more aggressive than normal, especially at the wide receiver position. I mean, you know, do I rule out them, you know, taking a guy or trading up for a guy like say, James, James, uh, Jameson Williams, falls in the draft and the Patriots just think he's special coming off an injury. No, I mean, it's something I would do. I mean, if, if Jamison Williams is available, you know, at 21 or just before that, I might be moving up because I think he's, he's that good and it's going to be that good. Um, but I, I don't think what grows comment about um, that. You can't just sit around that. You got to be aggressive. Uh, you got to be proactive about going to get one of them. Uh, was about the draft in, in general. I, I think it was actually, well, twofold. Number one, I think that it was more about Devontae Parker, that they made the deal for Devontae Parker, because in the right. same press conference, Gro called Devontae Parker a quote-unquote great player. I don't know many people around the NFL who would term Devontae Parker a great player. I mean, he has, he has the potential to be a very good player, and you know he had the 1,000-yard season. You know, I don't know how many great NFL receivers have one, uh, you know, one one thousand yard season. Um, so I think, so I think he was basically saying like you have to go and get one, and we did that by trading for Devontae Parker. And the other right. thing is, Grow might feel this way about receiver and about other things about like you know moving up in the draft for whatever position, but it doesn't really matter what Mac Rowe thinks, and you know he could be of the new age like hey, you know, this is the way football is being played now, and this is what we need to do. It doesn't matter what he thinks. It matters what Bill Belichick is going to do. And I don't think Bill's move the needle all that much when it comes to being uber aggressive for a wide receiver in the first round, considering, you know, it took him how many years to draft Nikhil Harry, and that didn't go very well. So I don't think he's, he's apt to all of a sudden be like, oh, yeah, let's go wide receiver. Let's trade up and get a wide receiver in the first round. I mean, I think it's unlikely. I wouldn't rule it out. What's fascinating always when you have somebody speaking for the organization for like the first time, right? You always wonder is, is that guy or is that woman going to misstep? They're going to say something they regret. Are they going to share a little bit too much? Because you got to feel like Belichick is breathing down your neck, uh, watching every single syllable that comes out of your lips to make sure that you don't say something that you shouldn't say. And uh, one thing that Matt Gross said stood out to you as maybe a misstep. And it was when he was talking about drafting impact players in the first three rounds of the draft and that you want to see those guys make the immediate impact. You know, you're not drafting those guys for two, three, four years down the road. Um, why could that be a misstep by grow Greg? I mean, I thought his, his quote, then a direct quote was hopefully your first round pick is coming in and providing something for you right away. And similarly with the second and third round picks, we've never heard somebody from the Patriots put, uh, that kind of weight on those picks. I mean, because, you know, if you remember for a long time, we were told or by proxy that, well, the second round is where you take risk. You know, Rob Gronkowski, Ross I. Dowling, you know, just 
you know, you take you take risk on injury guys or character guys in the second round. That's where you take risk. But now grows def- defining it as you should be getting uh, immediate contributors in the first three rounds. Now there's varying degrees. I mean, the first round should be an eventual starter that year. He's he didn't say this. This is me saying this. But this is widely held around the league and with the Patriots that first round should be a heavy contributor as a rookie, if not a starter by the end of a season, second round guys should be, uh, you know, similar to the first round pick. They should uh, at least be knocking on the door of being a starter by the end of their, their, their first year. And the third round pick should definitely contribute, but might be a starter further down the road. And, grow sort of put a definition on that so now all of a sudden we can go back and we can look at the Patriots drafts and be like all right well how many contributors did they get and I sort of went through it real quick and it's not you know and I didn't sit there and consider every every pick for a half an hour but I had you know nine hits and I had 18 misses now misses in is in quotation mark because we're talking about you know Josh Uche Ronnie Perkins you know, those guys recently, you know, Ronnie Perkins was drafted last year and sat the bench the whole year. Now, he didn't contribute as a rookie, so that makes him a quote-unquote miss. Do I think he's a miss as a draft pick? No, I think he's going get, to get a chance this year. But just by his definition of contributing as rookies, those guys have failed to this point. Yeah, and, you know, when I was thinking about what Gro said – and you pair it up with what they did last year in the draft when they made a very aggressive move up the board to draft Barmore. And, and I think, yep. you know, grow would look at that and he'd say, see, that's example number one, like that. That's what we're talking about when you could, I mean, last year's draft, again, you mentioned Perkins in the third round. We'll see if he can get healthy, if he can figure it out, but you draft the quarterback at 15 when, you know, some people were thinking too hard about that and too much about it said, Oh, Belichick's not going to draft the quarterback. We all know he needs a quarterback. He won't do that. And they drafted their starting franchise cornerstone quarterback in the first round. And then in the second round, they didn't rest on their laurels last year. You know, they, they made that aggressive move. They saw Barmore. He dropped off the board in the first round, which was a surprise to a lot of people. They moved up. They were aggressive. They drafted him, and he was an impact player right away for that defensive line. So, you, you know, and you could make the argument that Ramondre Stevenson taken in oh, the yeah. fourth round sort of replaces Perkins. You know, so 100%. then they did get the then they get did get quote unquote contributions from their first three picks. Yep, you, you get you get three of your guys out there, and they contribute right away. And, and I think you know it's yep. one thing to talk about it; it's another to be about it. Last year, they were about it. You know, they, they, mm-hmm. he's not just talking about it. This is not hindsight. You go back and you see how they handled that draft and being aggressive in that second round to grab Barmore really makes his point. Um, the thing he, he also mentioned, uh, and, and this is something you and I have talked about a lot since the beginning of this. A lot. <laughs> a lot. Uh, is looking to get faster. You and I have had these conversations, both sides of the ball, especially defensively. And this was something that grow pounded during his meeting with the media, you guys and gals the other day. Um, He wants to get faster. He believes the team needs to get faster. We believe it. He believes it. The question, the million dollar question, Greg is Belichick listening. Yeah, I, I, I do think, I mean, because I know, you know, Matt Patricia was telling agents and, and, you know, other players, the similar thing. So, you know, I don't know. 
Belichick's little parrot there. I mean, you, you would hope that he's hearing that from Belichick. But, yeah, I think he believes it. Now, when it comes to drafting – you know, a, a a linebacker who isn't six foot three and two hundred fifty five pounds. You know, will he take the six one guy who's two thirty five? Like, you know, in theory, we think so. And even Nick Saban has moved that way in the college game. But when push comes to shove, is Bill really going to be able to do it? I could just see his finger like trembling, like before pressing the button on <laughs> drafting an undersized linebacker. It's like. It's going to kill him to have to do it, but that's the game now. We'll see. That's the game. We'll see. It, you know, and it's funny you bring up linebacker because, you know, some of the comments I saw from Grow was talking about how the linebacker position has changed. And you're not going to see a lot of those guys who are 6'3, 6'4, 250, thumpers downhill. And when I was, I was reading that quote, I just was wondering, is, you know, his point was you can't find many of those guys. So was he saying, you know, that makes it much more important for us to find those guys and draft those guys who are those oh, thumpers God. because that's what Belichick <laughs> likes? Or was he saying, like, I'm trying to inch the coach towards understand, like, I'm trying to get yeah. Bill yeah. To, to understand that, like, hey, those guys, Bill, that you love, those big-ass linebackers, there's not Brandon a lot of spikes. that. Yeah, so we we might want to uh, we might want to try to evolve here, Bill, and, and move towards more the athletic type, smaller type. So, because you could read it kind of both ways. Before we get to yep. uh, Matt Patricia, because Matt Grow <laughs> talked about Patricia, and, and Greg's about to throw furniture about Patricia. But before mm -hmm. we get to that, uh, first let's tell our friends about BetOnline.ag. Our partners at BetOnline continue to be the number one source for all your betting needs and sports info. Find all the latest sports developments, including updated odds on the playoffs, fights, and even next season's futures. Don't forget that baseball is back, and the start of the Major League Baseball season is finally here, even though the Red Sox are stuck in neutral a little bit. And also, don't forget that you can bet on the NFL draft, considering you're listening to this podcast, also the podcast that we're doing with uh, Kevin Field to get everybody caught up on the draft. Uh, a lot of good information in there. Take it from here. Go over to Bet Online. Get, get those bets in and props on the draft. Bet Online is your continued source for all your sports wagering needs, including live betting in your favorite Vegas casino and poker games. It's super easy to get started, so head to the website today or use your mobile device to join and use our promo code CLNS50, that's CLNS50, to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet Online, where the game starts. All right, so I'm just going to set this one up for you. Here we go. And let you run with it. So uh, a lot of Matt Patricia love. And you talked about Patricia down at the owners meetings, kind of tied at the hip with Belichick. People looking at this from afar, trying to figure out what the hell is going on. Uh, Grow is singing Patricia's praises about his pro personnel experience. Um, he made, you know, he made Patricia sound like he broke the mold by working on the Devontae Parker trade. Uh, on and on and on and on. what is going on with this love fest for Matt Patricia, Greg? First of all, Nick, let me just let me just say this at the start. I have nothing against Matt Patricia. Um, I've spoken to him a couple times. I spoke to him at the combine and at the league meetings. Um, I have a good relationship with him. I have nothing personally against him. I think he's a good coach. I think he's brilliant. I think he's an asset here. We'll see the whole offensive thing. I'm deferring to Belichick. I don't have an opinion on that. I don't love it. I don't have an opinion on it. 
Uh, so let me just state that from the top. But it was one thing to see Matt Patricia with Bill Belichick at the league meetings and following him around. Okay. That never happens. There's never an assistant coach there. It never happens. That was one thing. It's another thing to see him and Bill all together. And Bill also to be lavishing praise on Matt Patricia and how big of a role he plays here. All right. That was one thing. Okay. I could deal with that. Whatever. I'll let Bill have his say. What have you. Uh, Maybe he needs a travel companion. I don't know. But the comments that macro had the other day nick i've just i've had it i've just had it <laughs> and there were two in particular okay he mentioned matt patricia because grow was asked about his lack of pro personnel experience when it comes to being director of per, right. pro, uh, director of player personnel which we've talked about here it's unheard of he's three years from being an area scout he's never been quote unquote in pro personnel which is unusual all the other guys before him with the patriots all had years of pro personnel experience. But he said, Gross said, obviously we've got no better resource than Coach Belichick and what Matt Patricia is able to add through his exp- through all his experience is, through." let me say that again, and what Matt Patricia is able to add through all his experiences with everything on the pro side. I just try and soak that in, put it all together, and help make the team, uh, help the team make the best decisions we can. Okay, let me take that first point. What vast experiences does Matt Patricia have on the pro personnel side other than yes he was a head coach of the Detroit Lions I get that and you delve in pro personnel you have different players I understand he can be helpful in that but he is not he does not have pro personnel experience he doesn't like he I don't know what he's talking about there then he goes into the Devontae Parker trade and he said I would say Matt Patricia did a great job of being on that early and kind of getting the information to us as quickly as he could. And we were in on that early and it really came together well for us. And we're really excited to have about having Devante here. Okay. So Matt Patricia, you need to have a degree in rocket science from RPI or yeah, RPI is where he went to be able to look and see, Oh, the dolphins traded for Tyreek Hill. They already have Jalen Waddle. They sign. They sign Cedric Wilson. Oh, they might have an extra receiver. Devontae Parker might be available. Like Matt Patricia was the first guy in the National Football League to be on that. That not every every front office wasn't saying the exact same thing. Again, what are we talking about here? Why do we need to be overly praising Matt Patricia for everything he does? Again, I think he's smart. I think he's a good football coach. I think he's going to help here, but. What the hell are they doing down there? Why why are they talking about Matt Patricia? And why are they being so you know overflow with their praise? I just don't get it. I don't understand it. And that will lead into I started asking people the same question because once I saw these quotes, I was like, what the f is going on down there? I need to find out. Yeah, we'll we'll get to a possible theory. I just wanted to throw something else in there. Remember last year, I don't remember what game it was. A lot's happened since then, but remember the post game and there were pictures of Belichick and Patricia and they were oh, having yeah, the Jets game, Bud heavies, baby. Yeah. And they were, yeah, and they were, and they were drinking together, hanging out. And it, it was like, Patricia was like wearing like a suit, a jacket. He had his hair all combed up. And it was, it was like one of those things where it's like, okay, fine. I, but why was Patricia like the only dude that was at that with, with 
Belichick. There was no McDaniels. I, I didn't, th- there was really nobody else. It was like, you know, I don't know if he's accountability buddy. I, I don't know if he's a BFF. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't know what's going on, but that was one of those things where, uh, you know, when you saw it and you knew that Belichick loves himself, some Patricia, obviously. But when, when I saw those pictures and I was like, wow, they're kind of just hanging and banging after the game, like drinking beers and like, you know, with their wives. Yeah. Like that's, that's another level, which, which brings us to this. You mentioned it in the notes, Greg, and it's something that we've had a conversation about a little bit. We haven't really drilled down on it, but this idea of the ecosystem that the Patriots have in Foxborough, Belichick being there for 20 plus years, and it, it makes you start to wonder, you know, are they starting to kind of sell to the point of overselling Patricia to the crafts and, and to the NFL and, and to the, you know, the, the people that will talk about what's going to happen after Belichick? Are they kind of like greasing the wheels here to get people ready for when Belichick bounces? He slides Patricia in. And now you have years of people kissing his ass and saying how great he is. And then Patricia kind of comes in and, oh, well, I have all this pro personnel experience and I've worked on contracts and I, I saw the Devontae Parker trade before it really happened. And I've, you know, I drank plenty of beers with Bill. And, and so all of this stuff is kind of just like, wow, you know, they're going to get this dude. Don't, forget about the lion stuff. Nobody remembered, for, you know, erase that from your memory because the Matt Patricia we want you to know about and feel good about is the Matt Patricia that's been getting his tires pumped by everybody around in this organization. Yeah. And, and that was suggested by, uh, you know, one source who's well connected with the Patriots. Another one did, did not, um, uh, you know, sort of, you know, did not disavow from, from that. And that's, you know, look, Bill Belichick for 22 years, because of the success of the Patriots and the stability with Belichick, um, you know, it's been a very comfortable place for a lot of people. I mean, there, there's basically, you know, when this whole thing started, people who came in with Belichick, uh, you know, if they gave birth that year, they got kids out of college now. That's how long, you know, they paid for college educations. They've that's done a, all that. That's insane. I know it's insane, but that's how ridiculously successful they've been. And, you know, some people have come along along the way. Let's just use Macro for an example. Um, and I'm not saying this is this is a fact or anything like that. I'm just pointing out, you know, the theory and how it relates to people. I mean, Macro with his background, you know, he's he's young. I think he has a young family. Uh, you know, kids in school in the you know whatever wherever they are. Um, you know, he now has ascended to a position where, with this resume. He wouldn't have the job that he has anyplace else. It would be a very, it would be a stretch with no pro pro, pro personnel experience, all that stuff. And you know, for Matt Grow, you know, Bill Belichick is is not going to be here forever. Okay, he's in year one of being director of player personnel for the Patriots. He's going if he wants to be here for a long time. He's going to need to be retained by the next guy. You know, yep. if that's a guy from the outside, the chances of that are pretty slim. Okay. Look at any coach that gets hired. Look at Bill Belichick when he came in here. Yeah, he had to play nice for a year. I think Greer was still here, but eventually he got everything he wanted to. I mean, look at Josh McDaniels out in Vegas. They went in, 
They changed some things. They're going to be changing more this offseason. They'll be changing more down the road. This is what happens when you hire a new coach. So basically, long story short, there's a lot of people in Foxborough who have a vested interest in things staying consistent for the Patriots long after Bill Belichick is gone. That means the best case scenario for a lot of people around one Patriot place is for the Patriots to get back to winning, you know, win a playoff game this year, continue to grow as a contender. So when Belichick passes Don Shula in three years and wants to walk away, now all of a sudden Bill Belichick, who it's in his interest too, that his legacy continues, that he goes to the crafts and say, look at what we've built here. Look at Matt Patricia. I have I brought him back. He's been in personnel. His name's on all the contracts. He helped out with Devontae Parker. He helped us out scouting Mac Jones. He really wanted Mac Jones. He is coached on the offensive side of the ball. He has been involved in coaching Mac Jones this year and continuing his ascension. You guys need to promote Matt Patricia. If I walk away, you need to promote Matt Patricia. That's good for a lot of people in Foxborough. The question is. Will the Patriots continue to win to make that an easy choice for them? Or will the Crafts just say, you know what? Forget it. Uh, You know, the previous three years, these next two, 2022, 2023, still around 500 or so. Uh, We don't feel great about this. We're making a change. We want Sean Payton to come in here with all new people. And all of a sudden, the entire landscape landscape changes around Gillette. So, you know, long story short, a lot if I think there is a sell job, some pumping of the tires for Matt Patricia to be the next guy after Belichick, both for Belichick and for the people around the team. When the Belichick era ends, it's going to be fascinating to see the succession. And it's going to be fascinating yep. to see, for example, you know, the major question would be who makes the call? And of course, people would say, well, the crafts own it and the crafts will, you know, and, and who knows? It might be it might be RKK still. It might be Jonathan at that point. Um, it depends on how long we go here, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, will, will Jonathan Kraft, uh, if it is him, handle the situation the same way RKK would? Uh, mm-hmm. Is Jonathan more likely to make the decision and say, Bill, I appreciate everything you've done, but this is now my team. This is my chance. You see that a lot, right, Greg? I mean, look, in the radio world, program directors, I happen to be one of them. Um, a lot of times you see program directors come into new cities with new stations, and what they do is they make changes immediately because they, they want to put their staple on the station. Their now, guys, I have, their people. I, yeah, I haven't done that here in Sacramento, but you know, you see that around the country where, you know, that's what happens. So if, if Jonathan walks in and says, look, I I love what my father did and bill, I, I love what you've done, but man, this is my franchise now. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm going to go out and get Sean Payton. I'm going to go out and get this guy or that guy. And we're going to start the whole damn thing over again. And I'm going to prove that we can do it better than you did it. And my dad did it. No one knows how that's all going to, it's it's going to be one of the most fascinating stories in sports you know, maybe ever that we've witnessed. Um, one Only more thing. second to Tom Brady's exit. <laughs> <laughs> right. uh, one more thing before we get to the uh, member question of the day. You watched Mac Wilson on film. What'd you see? Likes and dislikes. I really liked him. I, I did. I, uh, you know, everybody knows when I go and watch him film, I have no preconceived notion. I just watch the film, let it dictate. Um, 
you know, loved his body type, love his athletic ability. There isn't, you know, I watched the film and there isn't anything he can't do. You know, when I saw him on film, of course, you're wondering like, well, why aren't the Browns playing him in this situation? Like, for example, the Browns played him as strong side linebacker almost, you know, exclusively in base. And he would be the strong side linebacker matched up, you know, tight end, defend the run. I don't really see him as as that. I don't think he's all that big. He's a strong, put-together guy. I like his lower body. I like everything about him. But to me, he clearly looks like a weak side linebacker for the Patriots, if not a Mike. Um, so I liked him. You know, he takes on blockers. He, you know, he, he, he chases plays from behind. He's got good speed sideline to sideline. To me, he looked like a, a more athletic version of Juwan Bentley. In which I'm sure excites Nick Cattles and and a lot of other people. Um, he gets excited about things. He can he can cover tight ends and backs out of the backfield. Um, now, the the question that I have with him and the the million dollar question with him is, you know, why didn't he become better in Cleveland, and is he going to become a full time starter with the Patriots? Nobody can really answer that question. I will say there, he has the entire package. He has what you want. Now, look, he has the reputation. And I'm not saying he is. I don't know him. I've never talked to him. But his decision to leave Alabama early um, yeah. was met poorly at Alabama and in the NFL. A lot of NFL people were like, what the hell is he doing? He, he hasn't become a real player at Alabama. Why is he coming out now? He should stay learn for another year and all of a sudden he's a first second round pick instead of wherever he went third fifth fifth round I think I think he dropped to the fifth round that year and um so there looked to be some you know quote-unquote maturity issues with that and also I don't know how much he's grown out of it in the pros because he's never come I don't think he's quite settled down yet and really learned the position and learned the craft and I think maybe he's on the precipice of that. You would think so, considering he's been in the league for, I think he's going into his fourth year. Um, this is the time where it sort of, you know, it, 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 it takes hold. So it's incumbent upon the Patriots to hopefully they're getting that player who's ready and then they're ready to capitalize with like Gerard Mayo there to say, hey, Mac, I've been in your spot before. I've been here before. This is how you do it. This is what you need to know. Because I think he has all the tools. He looks smart on the field. He looks like he wants to learn. He just hasn't quite put things together. I think the Patriots could be the team to do that. Now, do I think he's going to be an all-pro? No. But I think he's going to be a damn good and an every-down starter for this team. Sounds good to me. Let's jump to the uh, BostonSportsJournal.com member question of the day. Check him out, BSJ. $39.99 on the annual plan. Top-notch analysis of all the Boston Pro Sports. What a game for the Celtics yesterday. An insane ending. Uh, But also, along with that top-notch analysis of all the Boston Pro Sports, you get tons of video analysis from Dard on the coach's film and also a direct access to him in weekly chats. Let's see what Ram 15 had to ask you. Just curious, Greg, what percentage of second and third round picks provide an immediate contribution? 30 40%? So that's that's an offshoot of the 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 macro comment, and then me right. sort of putting the you know nine hits, eighteen misses sort of thing. Uh, I would I would sort of say it this way: first round pick, prob- it probably hits on a league wide rate seventy five percent, probably in terms of you're getting a contribution from a rookie immediately. Might some years might dip to sixty five percent somewhere around there, but ideally, 
three out of every four contributes in some sort of meaningful way. Not saying he's become a player, but just as a rookie. I would say in the second round, it's more like 50-50 in terms of the second rounders. And I would say the third round is more like 30%, 33%, one in three, sort of make an immediate contribution. So that's where I would put it. And, you know, Nick, sort of like you said earlier, you know, the Patriots went four years of getting nothing out of those picks. They knocked it out of the park last year. They've knocked it out of the park in previous years. Well, let's keep knocking it out of the park because they need you saw that what that those youthful, talented players, the boost that it gave the Patriots in a bunch of different areas. If they can keep doing that, all of a sudden now you're stacking sort of layers of young talent. And that's how you get to be a sustained winner like the Patriots were for years. They get to be back to being that sustained winner. And it makes sense, you know, Matt Grow being put in the place he was put in when he's the draft guy. And, you know, this off season was obviously uh, really focused, hyper-focused on the draft. And that's where this team was going to add. They were not going to go big in free agency. What they did last year was last year. They put the draft guy up at the very tippity top of the organization when it comes to pro personnel. And now it's, can they do it again? You know, last year, whatever they did, what I would say is obviously Ziegler's not there anymore. But whatever you did last year worked, I wouldn't screw around with it too much. I, I, would, I would kind of approach things the same way and go about your business and see if you can do it in back-to-back years. Because if you do, as Greg just mentioned, that's going to really, really, really set up this franchise much better in the years to come. you, you got to draft good. You have to. If you don't, you're going to be in some trouble. He's Greg. I'm Nick. It's the Greg Bedard Patriots podcast with Nick Cattles brought to you by betonline.ag, the fastest and easiest way to bet all of your favorite sports. Everybody have a great week. Greg's going to be doing some uh, traveling. And then next week we've got a draft. That's right. Already a week from Thursday, the draft happening. So I'm sure we'll have a lot to discuss until then. Be good, be safe and be healthy.